Welcome to Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I work with Pastor Ben Kramer here at Cathedral of the Rockies. We are continuing in our series on the Bible with today's sermon titled, The God You Did Not Know. For this, we are going to look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The main question Ben asks uh, that he works with here is one that he says he gets asked the most as a pastor. And that question is, why does God in the Old Testament seem so much more cruel and vengeful than in the New Testament? This is a question that has existed for centuries now. In fact, a view that was deemed heresy by the early church around the 2nd, 3rd century uh, came about as an answer to this question. This view was called Marcionism, which is a view that believes God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament are actually separate gods. And in that, the New Testament God is saving the people from the Old Testament God. Now, this view was flawed in many ways and was, at least I believe it was, justifiably deemed as heresy. But the question raised that leads to views like this, it's a good question, one that we rightfully wrestle with. But if we start to read the Bible as a man-made object as opposed to something that just dropped out of heaven, I think we start to understand some of the more difficult passages just a little better. Uh, Don't hear me as saying that God isn't revealed through the Bible. I'm just saying that God is revealed through the Bible, but through the lenses of ancient people groups, because those are the people who wrote the Bible. Ancient Hebrews and Jews had a vastly different worldview than what we have today as 21st century Westerners. And that matters when writing down experiences uh, with the world of the spiritual. So what all all that is to say is that our lenses in which we view the world will shape our understanding of our experiences and how we read and interpret something like the Bible. This is very much the case for the topic of the story in Sodom and Gomorrah and just how it has shaped culture to treat our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters. And so that's where Pastor Ben will speak into today. Um, He'll also mention an upcoming documentary that I will link the website in the show notes to that documentary. Um, So you can check it out there. And with that, let's get you to the sermon. Enjoy. Every time we do Passing of the Peace now, I just can't help but think of what Alex Street, that comment he made. He comes from the Catholic tradition, and he's like, Passing of the Peace in the Catholic Church is just peace, peace, and we sit down. This is like intermission in your church. So, happy intermission. Peace of Christ be with you. Um, Well, again... At the beginning of service, I, I asked that common question that I get as a pastor. Why is the God of the Old Testament seem so mean? Why does the God of the te- Old Testament seem so different from the God of the New Testament? The God in the Old Testament seems to command genocide and war and even brutality against women and children, and it seems so different from the God that we see in Jesus Christ. Has anyone felt that before, that the God of the Old Testament, so many hands popped up, all right, I'm not alone in that. 
Well, today we're going to look at how the Bible impacts our picture of God and how when we twist scripture, we twist our perspective of God along with it. Because really, the Bible is such a central authoritative text to our faith that when we twist that scripture, we can't help but twist our picture of God along with it too. And we're going to look at one of those difficult scripture passages that gets twisted a lot, especially in recent history towards our LGBTQ siblings. It's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's a tough one to read. But as we read it, don't forget what we've already learned. And if you want to go back in on our podcast, you can hear all the previous sermons of what we've learned so far in this series. But we've learned that how the Bible helps us reimagine God. And we must remember that the biblical writers changed their perspective about God over time. So we looked the last couple of Sundays, Israel started out as a polytheistic faith, thinking that Yahweh was one God among many gods. But when they were in exile in Babylon, they, we had the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. They became a monotheistic faith. And Israel wrote that down for our behalf. They, their conception of God continued to change as God revealed God's self to Israel. And we are Christians today because the greatest revelation of God, we know his name. You do know his name. That's wonderful. The greatest revelation of God in the world is Jesus Christ. One of my favorite authors will say often, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time that God has not been like Jesus. We didn't always know that. Even in the Old Testament, we didn't know that. But now because of Jesus, we do know what God is like. The greatest revelation of God is in Jesus. So that's the lens through which we look at scripture. When we encounter, and Sodom and Gomorrah is in Genesis, the beginning of our Bibles, right? So as we see their conception of God in Genesis, we're always asking, how are we supposed to see Jesus in the midst of it all? When we remember those things and when we read uh, the Bible's purpose is to invite us to wrestle with hard questions rather than being an answer book or a fact book. We can approach passages like this with a lot less anxiety and be more prepared. We have to wrestle with passages like this in order to understand better, in order to understand God better, in order to have better answers for each other, because you will be asked about passages like this from people who are not Christians. What about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, would you read just the beginning of this story with me? Genesis 18, 20 through 21. This is from the message translation. God continued talking with Abram. The cries of the victim in Sodom and Gomorrah are deafening. The sin of those cities is immense. I'm going down to see for myself. See if what they're doing is as bad as it sounds. Then I'll know. And Shane, if you could leave that up there for a minute. This says a whole host of things. God starts with the cries of who? The victims, right? So it's, it's God inclining God's ear to the victims, just like God did with Israel in Egypt. And then another one that really struck me today when I read this this morning, I'm going down there to see myself to see if what they're doing is as bad as it sounds, then I'll know. What does that conflict with, with modern-day Christians? We believe in an all-knowing God. Why does this God have to come down to see for God's self? 
to know more, right? So again, we are encountering a people who are discovering God. This is their conception of God at the time. If, if I ask a group of people why the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, what do you think they would say? Right? Got, I think they would answer most likely that they broke the rules of sexuality. That's the most common answer I will hear as to why people think God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And more people still would probably say that this story is about homosexuality and how it destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and destroys the world. And let me tell you that this text has become what we know as a clobber passage towards those in the LGBTQ community world for years. And we have twisted it. And we have misread this text over and over and over again. And my friends, I love the Bible. That's why I do what I do for a living. I love scripture and I believe that scriptures lead us to life and we are a people who hunger to be formed by this sacred text. So it's vital for us to understand how it has been twisted and misused so that we can untwist it as well and we can untwist our picture of God along with it. Today, we're going to be working on aligning our heart with our head. Perhaps your heart has been open to approaching Scripture in a new light, and even God in a new light as well. And perhaps your heart has been open to our LGBTQ siblings. Your heart says all means all, like our banner does outside. But your head says, yeah, but God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality, right? My heart says yes, but the Bible seems to say no. So what do we do? This quote from Pete Enns, he's a Harvard uh, biblical scholar, and I really like, liked how he framed this. If you haven't read his book, How the Bible Actually Works, highly recommend it. Easy, short read, great book. But he says in that book, the Bible is ancient, ambiguous, and diverse. The Bible was never intended to work as a step-by-step -step instruction manual. Rather, it presents us with an invitation to explore. And I really like that. It fits with our understanding of Christianity as a way of discovery or a way of reimagining who we are as God's people with God. So let's explore this hard story. And again, still taking volunteers. If anyone wants to take the sermon from here, just let me know. We're going to look at verse 18 of Genesis. And Abraham and Sarah have not yet had their promise from God fulfilled. They haven't had Isaac yet or even the promise of a child. And three strangers in Genesis 18 show up and Abraham immediately jumps to his feet, runs to greet them, bows down and washes their feet. Then Abraham ran and baked bread and took a fatted calf and served them a meal. And these strangers asked, where is Sarah? And Abraham answered, well, she's in the tent. And I love what happens next. The strangers say, next year we will return and she will have a son. And this is in the Bible. From the tent, you hear Sarah laugh. Ha! They're about 80 years old right now. So you'd be laughing too, right? Somebody comes along and says, hey, next year she's going to have a son. And be like, ha! From the tent. 
And at this point, after my wife and I just, you know, our, our son is 10 months old, after journeying through this uh, pregnancy together, I don't know if walking through pregnancy as an 80-year-old couple would be a gift, right? <laughs> I, and so she may be laughing out of that. She was like, what is God thinking, right? Um, it, so th- this moment happens, and they give hospitality to these strangers uh, who then move on, and they say to Abraham and Sarah that they're going to Sodom and Gomorrah next. And it is after this, this passage of hospitality being shown to them that we arrive to our text today. And God and Abraham enters into this conversation. God says, the cries of the victims in Sodom and Gomorrah are deafening, and the sin of those cities is immense. I'm going down to see for myself to see what they're doing is as bad sounds, and then I'll know. And Abraham, understanding this reality, says to God in chapter 18, verse 24, God, will you destroy the city if there are 50 good people there? Will the judge of the whole world kill the guilty with the innocent? And God replies, if I find 50 upright people in Sodom, I will spare the whole city. I love the next verse. Abram says, God, I know that I'm just dust, but what if there are only 45 righteous people in the city? And God says, if there are 45 righteous people in the city, I won't destroy it. The neighborhood's like, this may be pushing it, but what if there are 30 righteous people? It gets down to 10. What if there's 20? What if there's 10? And God's like, okay, if there's 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, I won't destroy the cities. And I love this. I love this conversation with God. This is the father of our faith, the father of the Jewish religion, the father of Islam, and it models that faith is not taking God as God is presented, but faith includes pushback, arguing, questioning, and expecting more. He continues, God, will you destroy the whole city if there's only just 10 people there? It is an ongoing conversation with God. And then Genesis 19, 1 through 2 says that the messengers arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting at the city gate. He saw them and got up to welcome them, bowing before them and said, please, my friends, come to my home and stay the night. Wash up. You can rise early and be on your way refreshed very similar to how Abraham received these messengers. You see that hospitality right from the beginning. And then the the messenger said, no, it's okay. We're just going to stay in the the city square. And then Lot pressed his his invitations like, no, you should really stay at my house because Sodom and Gomorrah isn't a place you're just going to sleep in the city center. Things get really bad at night in Sodom and Gomorrah. So come and stay at my house. And so the messengers did, made them bread, gave them clean clothes and, and a place to stay. And then Genesis 19, four through five, this is the, the hardest part of this, this passage. It says this, before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring, out, bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. This text just took a wild turn, right? 
Phyllis Tribble, a biblical scholar, calls this text a text of terror. And there's several texts of terrors in Scripture. And then if that couldn't get any worse, it does in the very next verse. Lot came out to talk to the men and shut the door behind him. This is what Scripture says. Do not be so wicked. Look, I have two daughters who are virgins, and I will give them to you instead to treat them as you will. In the Bible. So I have to stop right there. First of all, <laughs> there's so many, so many things to say about this. First of all, we have to remember that Sodom and Gomorrah are the most sinful cities, right, in this scripture. And then Lot is supposed to be the example of faithfulness. And you have to ask yourself as you're reading this, so it must be really bad if this is the faithful, the most faithful person the city has to offer. He's willing to give his daughters over to this merciless crowd. And that's the most faithful representative we have for God. And in this context, we have to remind ourselves that women were seen as property and Lot lives into that as well. It is a heartbreaking reality that we see in these verses that we have to wrestle with. But I, I also have to say that it should be noted that if these men were all gay, why would Lot offer his daughters to them? That needs to be thought about as we move on. Then they yelled at Lot. The whole crowd of men yelled at Lot in 19 verse, verse 9. Get out of the way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play judge over us. We'll treat you worse than them. Things are getting really hostile. Then as they began to break down the door, the strangers reached out and pulled Lot back in and shut the door, and they blinded all who were outside with a bright light. Wow. Notice how when God intervened, everyone was rescued. Both the messengers, Lot's daughters, everyone was rescued. You see, many Christians have argued that there can be no legitimate same-sex relationships in the sight of God because they are banned in the Bible. <clears throat> and this is one of those stories that people will point to often. And this story is part of a narrative in the Old Testament meant to explain the, catas the catastrophe that wiped out the cities that once existed in the plain near the Dead Sea. You can look it up online. Cities actually existed there and were literally wiped out by a ball from heaven. You'd come up with stories too back then of why this happened, right? And it was this narrative that it was because Sodom and Gomorrah were deeply sinful that this ecological disaster happened to these cities. It was once common to interpret this story as a clear indictment on homosexuality. The word sodomy is actually derived from this story, and the cultural impact of this story and term have created enormous terror in the lives of so many made in the image of God. Genesis 19 has become a clobber passage towards those in the LGBTQ community. Yet when we read it that way, we have actually twisted scripture. And let's look at as to why we're misreading it. 
When the story is referenced in other parts of the Bible, it actually has nothing to do with people's sexuality. John Wesley has this incredible tip to read the Bible. So if you're looking for a Bible reading tip, this is a good one to hang on to. If you encounter a passage that you're not sure about, John Wesley would say you need to interpret the Bible with the Bible. Because the Bible will reference itself a lot. Sodom and Gomorrah is a story that the prophets talk about, that Jesus talks about. So if you have a question about a part of the Bible, see what the Bible says about itself. That's a really good way to find out what the Bible is actually trying to say. So I just want to look at a few examples of how Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned by the prophets and by Jesus. According to the prophets, when the Hebrew people thought of Sodom and Gomorrah, they did not think in terms of cities that were wicked as a result of men wanting to have sex with other men. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 1, verses 9 through 23. Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned with a host of sins that are named, but mainly related to the abuse of public justice and nothing about sexuality. In Jeremiah 23, 14, when referring to Sodom and Gomorrah, it's about adultery, lying, and an unwillingness to repent. But I think Ezekiel is the most point blank with his words about Sodom and Gomorrah. Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50, read this with me. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. She was proud and committed detestable sins, so I wiped her out, as you have seen, <clears throat> as you have seen. So back to Genesis. The men of Sodom show up at Lot's house to ask for the strangers, and they seek to humiliate, to violate, and to actually gang rape the strangers. Could anything be more opposite than offering hospitality than that? When Abraham has these three strangers visit, these two angels, the three angels, he offers them hospitality and he welcomes them, complete strangers, and washes their feet, bows down, and brings them drinks and food. The Sodom story is about violence against the stranger and a lack of hospitality for those who have come to seek goodness from you. This is not a story about men who are sexually attracted to other men. This is not a story of two same-sex people that desire to get married and make God the center of their lives. The passion of the crowd at Lot's door was motivated by a desire for power and control, for the humiliation of the stranger, not love, not relationship, and not hospitality. This was using sex, which is a gift from God, as a weapon we have to be able to see this plot point for what it is and then move past it to understand the story as a whole. Ancient Israel was uniquely called by God to be a reflection of the Lord back to the world. Over and over again in the Old Testament, Israel said, you are to be a light to the world. God says that to Israel. You have been a foreigner in Egypt, so how are you supposed to treat other foreigners? The way that I treated you, I brought you out of Egypt, so be kind to the foreigner. Show hospitality, show my light to the world. That is what will make you distinct. And so Sodom and Gomorrah is a complete contrast to that. There is no kindness to the stranger, no hospitality, no peace is shown. And Jesus talks about Sodom and Gomorrah one time in the book of Matthew, 
And what is it in the context? It's when he sends out the disciples. Matthew chapter 10, you can go read that yourself. He sends the disciples out and he says, if a house will not receive your peace, take your peace back and then do what? Shake the dust off the, I, that was my cue for you to know which passage it was. Did you all get it, right? Shake the dust off your feet. I guarantee to you that not even Sodom and Gomorrah will be, they will be better off than these cities that will not receive the peace that I have come to bring. Why? Because of the lack of hospitality. If they are not received and their peace is not received, then it is a lack of hospitality. And Jesus connects Sodom and Gomorrah to that lack of hospitality in the Gospels. This is ancient Israel's identity to be a light of the world. And the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah functioned in the life of Israel as a story to remind them of the danger of forgetting their unique call to show hospitality. Abraham and Sarah got it right. They offered hospitality and we need to offer hospitality as well. We Christians have often missed the point. We use texts like this to clobber others, causing hurt and trauma or worse. My friends, the highest rate of suicide is among LGBT youth in this country. Imagine using passages like this that only heighten that sense of anxiety and depression that actually cause them to want to take their own lives. We are a people who advocate life-conquering death, not a message that leads people to death. So it's so important that we free frame these, these passages. We Christians often miss the point of texts like this. Did you know that American scholars even funded German biblical translators to add the word homosexuality in the Bible in 1946? It didn't even exist before that in Scripture. They took several other words and changed it to homosexuality in those verses. And ever since then, it's been weaponized against the homosexual community, the LGBT community. There's a massive documentary coming out about that called 1946. So be sure to watch for that um, as we need to repent from a lot of these mistranslations that we've been using scripture in that way. This and many other reasons is why our church is deeply committed to all, literally meaning all, are welcome here. Not just in this place, but in our theology too. What if this was no longer a clobber passage, but what if it was a gift to us, reminding us of our call to be hospitable to the stranger? Could it be that Genesis 19 is a call for us as God's people to receive others, to practice hospitality and receive the outcast and the outsider, not create outsiders because of our narrow view of them, not create or estrange people because of our lack of welcoming that's a pretty powerful place to start when it comes to homosexuality at the table. This is a pretty powerful place to start on allowing ourselves to reimagine God in a deeper way than we have before. I encourage you to continue to look at passages that cause you discomfort and see how your relationship with God may be reimagined by drawing closer to the texts like these. Just a few action steps for you. Um, 
Discover all means all. That's the banner for both campuses, and we really live into that that mission here at Cathedral of the Rockies. And read Matthew chapters five through seven, and what does ask this question? What does this tell me about God, about people, and what does it ask me to do or become? So again, Matthew chapters five through seven. What does this tell me about God, about people, and what does it ask me to do or become? The next action step is to look up and watch the trailer for the 1946 documentary. It's, it's, it is a powerful trailer. They've, so many scholars have put so much work into this to untwist scripture in the ways that it has been twisted um, in so many years towards the LGBTQ community. And then last action step, what scripture is uncomfortable to you? Are there any other verses in the Bible that cause you discomfort? <laughs> Wrestle with them. And ask yourself this question as you're wrestling, how does Jesus help me to interpret this passage in a new light? That's our goal in this series, to untwist scriptures that we've twisted. I'm glad to be journeying this series. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to, we'd very much appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it. Also, if you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at amity.campus at boisefumc.org. That email will be in the show notes. Finally, as a smaller congregation, our budget is pretty tight. If you'd like to help out and donate to us, there is a link to do so in the show notes. Of course, no pressure, only if you're feeling called to give. But more income does mean possibly more content and better quality of content, as well as supporting our current ministries and those we'd like to expand on. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.